Well, as we have been in our sermon series of God behaving badly, today we're going to look at a question that says this, does God care? Does God care? Does he really care? Because oftentimes we find ourselves in situations, circumstances and trials where we are enduring things that we would rather not endure or where we are suffering in some capacity, whether it's emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, and we don't like it, and we want it over, and we wonder, does God care? And that's our focus for this morning. So you know that suffering and circumstances enter all of our lives at one point or another. It's not an invited guest. It is an intruder. And in that intrusion, in the midst of that intrusion, we can experience devastation, confusion, hurt, and pain, which leaves us wondering what in the world is going on or is going wrong. And where is God in all of this? And does he even care that I'm in the middle of a mess? So I want to bring to you today a different view of suffering or a different view of trials than, that, than what is normally talked about. And here is the angle that there is an ability for suffering to have a redemptive purpose in our life. There is an ability for suffering to have a redemptive purpose in our life. Suffering is a word that encompasses a broad spectrum of experiences. What suffering looks like in the United States of America looks very different in Africa or in Asia or around the other parts of the world. And so we as Americans can define suffering in some capacities, but if we take a look at a Holocaust victim, if we take a look at a victim who has been um, traumatized in other arenas, the, they seem not to truly match. But when we suffer in our experiences, no matter how great or how little, it is suffering nevertheless. So to begin our time, I want to define for you what suffering is. Suffering is any experience where we are forced to endure pain, heartache, and distress. It, suffering is where we are forced to endure pain, heartache, suffering, or distress. And most of us have made this assumption that something is wrong with suffering. We look at suffering as something to avoid or escape and run from rather than something that should never be. So we often will ask questions like, what is the meaning of suffering? Where does it come from? Who causes suffering? Why doesn't God relieve my pain? Is the suffering of my life a complete waste? Does every Christian have to go through suffering? Because I read in Scripture that isn't he Jehovah Rapha? What in the world is so wrong with me that I must endure suffering? We know as Christians that we are supposed to pray for the brokenhearted, for the sick, to be healed. But yet we often find ourselves in situations that are breaking us, or we find ourselves in illnesses or complicated relationships that aren't going the way we want, and we're struggling to hang on to the hope that Christ has for us. Well, if we take a look at the psalmist, 
David, we will find that David was in precarious situations and asked lots and lots of questions to God. And this is why I love David, because I think he captures the heart of our humanity and the heart of our soul, and he gives verbiage to it. In Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why have you left me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? How many of you have felt that? When you've been in the midst of a situation and you have cried out to God and you wondered, is he not even home? Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How often do you and I feel that God forgot us? He lost our number to call us. He lost our address. He forgot where we lived. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long? Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And the questions go on and on in the on in the book of Psalms. And those questions that are penned in Psalms are often the very questions that you and I are asking in our quiet places, in our heart, in our mind, in our secret places. We are saying to God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? And how long are you going to let me sit here? At least that's what I'm doing. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, we're all doing it. So there are a few reasons that we come up with at times to help us try and put uh, our suffering and our situations into a box that help us make sense of it. But I want to say they're not totally and absolutely true, but we're going to look at them. Number one, we often will say, I have failed God. I failed God somewhere. I did something wrong. I didn't do what was expected of me. I missed some rule in the book. This is why I must be suffering. Second, we believe suffering is supposed to be there only for God to quickly take away at another later time. So we believe, well, I have this situation because God's going to take it away down the road. And we get that thought because we look at Hannah, where God closed her womb, but he did it in order that one day he might prove a miracle, and he then opened her womb. Or we take a look at the story of the blind man, and his disciples asked Jesus, whose sin is responsible for his blindness? And Jesus said, no one's sin. This happened so that the Son of God could be glorified. And his blindness was healed, and his suffering went away. So we believe sometimes that our suffering can be miraculously taken away, and so we just wait for that miraculous moment. A third reason that oftentimes we, we put on our suffering is that we believe that our faith is impaired, or our faith is weak or lacking, so that must be why I'm suffering. After all, it only really takes a grain of mustard seed to move a mountain. So do I not even have a grain of mustard seed of faith to move this situation? And we fall into this pit of despair because we blame ourselves for our lack of faith. So let me humbly say that it is my opinion that in some 
some situations, a measure of one of these three things may be there. Why? Because we suffer because the wages of sin is death, and there is suffering in that. We also know that God desires to heal and relieve our suffering and do miracles among us because we see it in his stories and we've experienced it in either our lives or other people's lives. And we also know that it does require faith for miracles to bring about healing and change circumstances. But the issue underlying all of these reasonings is this, is the assumption that suffering ought not to be. That it is, that, that is something that should not exist. And especially in a believer's life, it should never exist. But my friend, when we look through Scripture, we cannot find that substantiated in the stories of Scripture, in the biblical characters of Scripture, in Jesus even saying to us, if you want to share in my glory, you must share in my sufferings. So we have to take a look at this, this subject of suffering, which, which says to us, does God really care? Because he has all this power to take absolutely everything away from me, and yet in his providential wisdom, he does not. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I would like to say that there is another way of seeing suffering not as something we are to avoid, but as something we are to welcome into our life. Because throughout the pages of Scripture, suffering can be seen as a tool that God uses in transforming his children into his likeness. Suffering can be seen as something that opens the door into the very heart of God and into the mysteries of his ways. And you and I cannot enter into our personal destiny in God unless we, are, we allow ourselves to be changed into his likeness. So this process of transformation in God is often wrought in the crucible of suffering. We find transformation happens in the crucible of suffering. Think about the butterfly and the caterpillar. It goes into a cocoon and it comes out a total different creature. It goes into a constrained area. And in that constrained area, it is transformed to something of a different character than what it was as a caterpillar. Caterpillar crawled on the floor. A butterfly flies in the air. But because of that middle piece of, of constraint, or we could say of distress, Everything stopped. Everything slowed. And when that time was over, it becomes a brand new creature, transformed beyond its original state. So if we're going to accept that suffering is a tool used by God to bring transformation to our lives, we first must understand something about how God thinks and how he works his ways. See, how God sees things, of course, is how things really are. Now, you and I have kind of our own reality, but the, but the fact of the matter is there is only one reality, and we cannot create another one. The true reality is how God sees things. 
yet how we see things is often opposite. He tells us in Isaiah 55, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, if we have a differing view from God, there's really no, no issue on wasting our time because his way is the perfect way. Second Samuel states that as for God, his ways are perfect and you and I can't outdo perfect. Scripture also reveals paradoxes to us. You know some of them. To be first, you become. To be strong, you become. If we lose our life, we find it. To be the least in the kingdom, become the greatest. Giving so that we receive. To live as Christ is gain. To die, to die, to live as Christ, to die is gain. We have these paradoxes. His thinking and his ways are counter to our human thinking and ways. And if we are going to get into the ways of God, to come into the destiny and the providences of what God has ordained for our life, we're going to have to allow his ways to become our ways. And how do we find that out? We look at Scripture. We look at the stories, the biblical characters. We watch how he works with them. Then we understand how he works with us in our lives. So if we turn and look at James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it says to us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, situations, circumstances, sufferings of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking a thing. Right in that scripture verse, we see redemption of our trials and our circumstances at work. We see the way of God. We see it right there. Don't be surprised that this fiery thing has come upon you. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So what is the way through the trouble? What is the way through the fiery trials? What is the way through the suffering and the circumstances that we face? From this scripture and others, God calls us to accept the difficult situations we find ourselves in. We are to thank him for whatever reason that he is using it to develop us. So let's define redemption now as this, to make worthwhile or offset a bad effect. If we are going to have redemptive suffering, suffering is all the pain, the, the, the hurt, and the situations if we're going to have redemptive suffering, then that means that the Lord will make worthwhile or offset the bad effect of my suffering. He will redeem it. Do you all recall the scripture verse that says God works together all things for his glory? All things. The Hebrew word all means all. There's no exclusions. 
All things can be redeemed. All situations are redeemable. All circumstances are redeemable. So how should we look at the crucible of suffering and how can this crucible have redemption packaged into it? What does it look like? That's a question I love to ask when we're looking into the scripture. So what does it really, really look like for me in my day and in my situation? And I want to propose to you four elements within this concept of redemptive suffering through the life of Joseph in Genesis. If you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read several verses in this chapter and a couple others. And we're going to find the answer to our question that says, does God care? And we're going to look through the lens and the life of Joseph. We all know Joseph's story at large of, of him as a young boy who had dreams and then thrown into prison and then back and then into Egypt. But we're going to look closely at it, and there's four elements within Joseph's life that will help us transition ourselves through our circumstances. The first element that we see here in this story is the declaration of God's destiny and purposes for Joseph through two dreams. And I'm reading Genesis 37, beginning with verse 5 to verse 11. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, Joseph said. We were out on the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine his brothers responded so you think that we are that that you will be our king do you do you actually think that you will reign over us and they hated him because of his dream and the way he talked about them verse 9 soon joseph had another dream and again Stupid, he told his brothers. Listen, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he said. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph... His father wondered what the dreams meant. So in his young life, Joseph is given two dreams that depict the plans and the purposes of God for his life. And he's so excited about that declaration that he tells his family. But he enrages his brothers, and he gets a scolding from his dad because it seems ludicrous what has been declared and decreed to him. But God has said to us that in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we mostly have that verse memorized because we're hanging on to that verse. Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. We know that he is working within us, his plans and his good purposes to give us that hope and a future. He promises us that. 
Philippians 2.13, for it is a God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. These wonderful words of promises from Scripture, as well as the prophetic words that many of you hold within your heart, reveal to us God's plan, his agenda for each of our lives. And they are good, and they are wonderful, and they are exciting, and they are sitting on the horizons of our life and what we are going after. We're like, yes, God, do the work in my heart. Do the work in my life. But in the midst of those declarations and those things that we are holding on to, we tend to look for this upward, continual, momentum progress to the fulfillment of that word. Onward, upward. And we go from day to day and we live our life and we find ourselves going downward and backwards, wondering what is going on. But God said X, Y, Z, but God said this, this, and that. And it appears that we are so far from that reality. And oftentimes, we'll conclude he doesn't care. He forgot me. Maybe I didn't hear him right. Guess I don't have any faith. What's wrong with me? I knew that was just way too good to be true. When promises and declarations of the Lord are made and given, they rarely come to pass immediately. There is a process involved in their unfolding and their fulfillment. There's a process involved. Scripture tells us as you read through when the when they were uh, when the prophets were speaking of the Messiah to come, there's a 400-year silence before he came. They were prophesying year after year after year and prophetic after prophetic and then silence, nothing. And then Jesus shows on the scene. God's not in a hurry with our lives. We're in a hurry. We get the word on Sunday night. All right, looking for it on Monday morning. Okay, I'll give you one week, Jesus. Maybe if it's a really big word, I might give you a month or a year. But let's go, come on. I got my word. The prophetic decrees of the Lord given, whether in dreams or visions or words or scripture, the Lord allows the fulfillment over the course of time. Because the words that were given to Joseph on that day, he was not ready to walk into a position of leadership the moment he received that word. He was not ready to lead Egypt in that moment. He was not ready to be second in command. He was a boy. He was a boy. He didn't even have the sense to keep his mouth shut concerning his dreams that caused strife and jealousy in his family. He was immature and he needed training and he needed development to fulfill the promise and the dreams that were given to him. So after the declarations of ruling and reigning promised to Joseph comes a period of time for training and preparation. He had to be prepared to rule and to reign. And so God was going to make his life fit for the word that he just received. Now hear me closely. Did God cause the brothers to throw him and, and create this scheme to get rid of him from the family? No. God did not cause it. But God used it. 
God did not cause it, but he used it. So the second element coming into play after the declaration is called distress or suffering. So let's read a few more verses in Genesis 37, beginning with the end of uh, verse 17. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made their plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Dropping down to verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, they, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up, saw a cavern of camels in the distance coming toward them. And it was a group of Ishmaelites trading, taking a low a load of balm and and resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to the brothers, what will we gain by killing him? His blood would just give us a guilty conscience. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him. And so distress came into Joseph's life following the declaration of his dreams and all because of jealous brothers. There are times that you and I enter into distress, not because of our own doing, but because of another person's doing. And Joseph was only sharing his heart, his excitement over what he had been given by God. And it caused his brothers to rage and get jealousy, plot his death, and eventually sell him to slavery. Was that Joseph's fault? No. Was it in Joseph's control? No. His brothers got jealousy and plotted. And there are often times in our life that our life is going in the opposite direction of the promise of our dream. The same way in Joseph's life that it went in the opposite direction of the promise of his dream. And instead of ruling, he was sold into slavery. So often we capture a prophetic moment, a word, and those things are to guide our lives and they are to be on the horizon of our life and we're aiming for that. But in the midst of that, we get caught into a circumstance or a situation that we realize I'm going backwards for some reason. And it gets confusing and we get bewildered. We need to understand that the testing and suffering in our life is designed to make us into what God wants us to be so that the Lord can make us worthy to carry the declaration and the decree. And we can see a way in this that appears to be contradictory. God speaks promises promises and prophecies of our destiny, but then he takes us down before he raises us up. God takes us on a journey away from the promise and into fellowship with him. This crucible of fellowship and suffering and situations is about you and the Lord building a relationship that will last a lifetime. We don't like to look at our difficult things, trials, circumstances, sufferings in that light. But we see it 
in the stories of Scripture. God went with Joseph when he was sold. God was with Joseph in the prison when he was put in Potiphar's prison. God went with Joseph in Egypt. So we have got to come into a place where God's, God means more to us than anything else in our life. It's more than the promise, more than the ministry, more than the service, more than the worship encounters. We must desire him more than his hand of blessing in our life. Did God care for Joseph and where he was and what was going on? Yes. He cared deeply because he had prophesied great things over his life. When we see Joseph from the dream thrown into the pit and sold into slavery, basically from declaration to distress, guess what? God doesn't leave him there. God develops him there, which is the third element of redemptive suffering, development. Development is the plunging into distress that occurs so that God is able to begin to develop us. See, distress and development go hand in hand, but sometimes you and I get so entangled with the distress of what we are enduring that we walk away from God and we don't allow ourselves to be developed in the midst of it. God uses those circumstances, right? Because he said he works together through all things, his good and his purposes. He's using it for his purpose. See, Joseph is both in Potiphar's house and he's in Potiphar's prison. And in these two places, he develops all the skills that he will need for the role that God has in mind for him to play. There's two things happening in the distress. The first is causing us to learn to trust God for everything. The second is that the Holy Spirit is, is bringing us to a place where God can trust us. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 11. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The latter part of that verse is something that's very familiar to many of us. We quote it all the time, I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. But Paul placed it right at a place where he identified that in his circumstances, he has learned with much and with little, with an empty stomach and with a full stomach. In every circumstance, I have learned that I can do all things through Christ. I can endure. I can persevere. That's the context of that scripture verse. John 12, 27 says this of Jesus in the midst of his crucifixion. Verse 27, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No, it was for the very reason I came to this hour. Father, 
glorify your name. Jesus, in the midst of his crucifixion, in the midst of a terrible situation that he did not deserve, he put himself in that place for you and I. He did not ask for rescue. He asked for the Father to be glorified. In our situations, in our circumstances, in our distress, part of our development is to allow the Lord to be glorified no matter where we are or what we are enduring. When we look at the disciples and the apostles and the biblical characters, we see the glory coming out of the ashes. We see the glory coming out of situations, the hard places, the faults. We see it all over Scripture. We often want rescue. We want deliverance. We want to get out of it. And sometimes God grants us that. And thank you, Father, for doing that. We see the miracles in Scripture as well. But not everywhere that David asked to be rescued from was he. Not every place that the apostles asked to be rescued from were they. They weren't rescued from martyrdom. They weren't rescued from prison in the sense of, not, of escaping it completely. Paul was let out of prison on a rescue, but he was also put back in prison shortly after that. So we see this, this paradox where God is meeting and delivering the miracles and redeeming the situations. And then we see, on the other hand, where God is walking his people through situations and circumstances. And they're coming out the other side, being glorified and honoring to the Father. Hebrews 10.23 and verse 36 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. See, it is about you getting a hold of God and him getting a hold of you in the midst of your circumstance. Let's turn again to the last couple chapters of Genesis in verse 41 because the last element plays out, which is demonstration. In Genesis 41, verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Did God care what was happening to Joseph while he was in his distress? Yes, he did. He was working out a plan. Because in the process of distress and development in Joseph's life, God formed and fashioned him into the man that he needed to be in order to fulfill the dreams given him in his youth. Then God determined, God determined the time of Joseph's elevation to a place to rule and reign over Egypt as second in command. God elevated him. Because, Dave, because Joseph stayed the course. He started in the declaration, grabbed a hold of it, and believed it. 
He was thrown into distress by the actions of others, and he stayed there, and he was developed so that the day of elevation for him, when, when Pharaoh said, I hereby decree, demonstration of the word came full circle. The problem is that you and I want to take distress and development and we want to cut it out and we want to go from declaration to demonstration. Easy road. But we don't find that in Scripture. We find often that in the crucible of our trials and of our suffering and of our circumstances, we are being fashioned and formed into the image of God to handle the demonstration of the decree. To be made fit for the decree into the demonstration that we might carry the weight, the glory, the plan, the purpose of God, not as our own, but as his message and his alone. So my friend, behind your suffering, behind your circumstance, God is the architect at work. Remember that God is at work in all things. Remember the Hebrew definition of all? All. All. All things. He's the architect. All things. He's working. Suffering becomes redemptive when we yield to his purpose in the suffering. This is the place where God prepares us for the good works, where he destines us for the promises of his word and the decrees and the fulfillment of the decrees. Maybe today you're somewhere in the crucible of suffering and you're not liking it one bit because I don't like to be there myself. And you don't have to like where you are. But we've got to accept where we are and embrace what God is doing in the place that we are if we're going to see the demonstration of what he's promised. So does God care? Yes, he cares deeply. He cares so much that he will walk us through anything and everything and all things side by side. And sometimes, yes, he'll deliver us out. He'll rescue us early. He'll do a miracle and we'll cross our Red Sea. Thank you, Lord. But however he chooses to handle our circumstance, however he chooses to walk us from the declarations of who we are to be in him to the demonstration, we must be willing to go with him in order to receive all that he has for us. So does God care? Yes. We see the care in Joseph's life. In chapter 45, verses 4 and 5, Joseph says this. Please come closer. He was talking to his brothers. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother. Don't be upset that you sold me into slavery. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. Wow. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. Joseph had fully 
put his heart around the declaration, around the distress and the development. And when it was his time to demonstrate that word, he demonstrated it from the viewpoint of God. God. It was God who sent me. He could have blamed them. He could have ridiculed them. He could have banned them and said, get away from me and get out of here. He could have called Pharaoh's court guards to come and put them in prison. He had all the power, and yet he did not. He did not retaliate because he saw the way of God in his life, and he walked in kindness to those who offended him. All because he embraced his journey of distress. Finally, in verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you. Hmm. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Joseph had begun with the declaration, the bitter jealousy that threw him into prison. And when we see him demonstrating it, he has a tender heart knowing the way of God for his circumstance. This can happen for you, my friend. You may be in a place where you don't like it. You may be fighting a battle that you're tired of fighting. You may be in a crucible of suffering that you never imagined that you would be in. But let me tell you this. It can work for good, but you're going to have to embrace it his way. And you're going to have to walk it his way. And he'll give you the strength. So that in the time that he says enough is enough and elevates you, You will not have a heart that judges your circumstances or those that put you there or even yourself, but you will have seen the way of God working in your situation and say, it was God. So bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to look into the ways of your dealings with us through your scripture. I... I, I thank you so much that you give us a glimpse on how you work with us in circumstances that are not even our fault, for it was not even Joseph's fault. He didn't deserve to be sold into slavery. It was done because of jealousy and anger and wrath and rage. But yet, Lord, he was able, he was able to get a hold of you and walk in the ways that you had for him so that at the end of his suffering, when you had said, enough is enough, and I'm elevating him. He was elevated with a humble and contrite spirit, not arrogant and not proud. And he gave you all the glory. Lord, we need that help as we journey in our own areas, as we walk through our own circumstances in our own situations. Father, we need your grace so that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that we can walk through all things as you strengthen us. And I take this moment to ask whether you're watching online or whether here in this sanctuary with heads bowed and eyes closed, you may 
You may say, I'm walking a journey without God right now, and it's pretty bad, and it's pretty horrible, and, I'm, and everything's a mess. I want to tell you that Jesus wants to walk with you in your all things. We can't find in Scripture where he promises us that there will be no trouble or there will be no situation or hard things because he tells us that there will be. But he also promises to be with us, to comfort us, to show us the way out, to grace us, to heal us, to deliver us. He shows us that. And so if you're here today and you've never received Christ in, into your life or you've never asked him to journey with you, he wants to do that today. He wants to journey with you right where you are. You know what? You don't even have to clean yourself up because he comes right to you. That's the reckless love of God we just sang about. It's so reckless. He comes, he comes recklessly into your life if you'll receive him right in your mess. So if there is one here, if you just raise your hand, we want to pray with you. If you're saying, I need him to journey with me. I got a mess. I need him to wash me clean and I want to become his daughter. I want to become his son. You just raise your hand while no one's watching. It's not to embarrass you in any way, but it is to invite you into a relationship with a God who loves you deeply. Into a family of believers. Who are your brothers and sisters? Is there anyone? So I'm just going to ask everyone to pray as we pray with those who have raised their hand. I'm going to ask you all to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I've been walking my life alone, that it's been difficult, and I have made a mess of things. And I'm asking that you come and you walk with me and you talk with me and you journey with me. Cleanse me from all of my sin and give me your strength and your grace to walk this life with you. It's that simple. It's that simple. He wants to journey with each and every one of us. I'm going to ask you to stand. And those of you as believers, you might be in a hard place. You might be in that place where you don't even know how you got there. You might wonder, where is God in this place? Because I'm having a hard time finding him. I want to let you know he's there. He's the architect behind it all. Sometimes we need to just realize that he does walk with us and he talks with us, even in hard places. So this morning, as the altar team people come, our altars are open and our altar team members are coming to pray with you. If you need someone to pray, they're here. And so as we sing this last song prior to our closing, if you need some prayer or if you need to come to the altar and just say, Jesus, I just need a little closer walk with you today. 
just need a little closer talk with you today because I'm in a hard spot and I'm going to believe that you're with me and that you're the architect behind this and you're going to help me get through this because you helped Joseph. And I am going to go from declaration to demonstration, but I'm not going to avoid the distress or the development. Develop me and get me there. I want you to come as Pastor Brock leads.